Welcome back to Gotch Watch, where we watch Gotchard and give our thoughts. I remembered it from last time. Last time we watched the first four episodes of Kamen Rider Gotchard. We took our deep dive into the Rewa era, for Salt at least. And uh, we came out of it feeling... Uh... Salt, how would you say we came out feeling... Mm. Uh, feeling like I wish I was a little more whelmed. Whelmed. Mm, perhaps even... I, I, I could have been more whelmed, you know? More whelmed. Okay, I see, yeah. How did you feel? Mm, for me, I... I... <laughs> I'm like a... I'm like your... I'm like a parent watching their child flounder, you know? I'm not angry, I'm just <laughs> disappointed. <laughs> yeah, so this time, we're going in one month later... We're now dealing with the next set of four episodes, and we're going to see if things actually do get better and uh, see if our overall thoughts on the show have changed. Uh, I should note that in the time between the last episode and this episode, Salt, uh, is there something you want to tell the class about how much of Kamen Rider Zero One you've watched? Oh, yeah, I'm... Uh... Around a third into zero one, so a lot of my experiences there will be coloring what I'm watching here. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm interested yeah. to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I have one specific note about that later. All right, cool. I think with that, let's jump right in. Episode five is what we start off with. This time we've got Keiichi Hasegawa writing. We've got our director for this episode, Katsuya Watanabe, making his return to the Kamen Rider franchise since 2015. The last episode that he, uh, or actually would have been 2016, but the last episode of Kamen Rider that he had directed was an episode of Kamen Rider Ghost. Uh, in the meantime, he has been directing episodes of Super Sentai, so it's not like he's been away from Tokusatsu entirely, but uh, this is a grand return for him. The synopsis for this episode is, uh, the gang saves the gym from the Yakuza. I gotta say, this episode, uh, not only terrific, but feels like it was designed specifically for you and me. Absolutely. I think... Like, this is the kind of thing we're just so, into. so strong this time. This is, like, this is the best episode of the show thus far, <laughs> in yes. my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. It was such a breath of fresh air coming into this from... Episode 4, because episode 4 set me up for so much disappointment with this. I'm like, oh, they're doing wrestling. I can't wait to see how they flub it. And th they don't flub it at all. Like, No, they nail it. They nail it. It's great. So I want to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, uh, this came out of the gate swinging. I loved Goriki. He's like just the neighborhood bully. I mean, there's Yakuza references plenty to be made, but he feels like a character from Yakuza. Yeah, he's like Mr. Um, Shakedown. Yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> you just put, you yeah, put the little trilby on him, and then he just starts, you know, towering around Kamurocho. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've, com I've complained about, like, some of the show's, like, story logic, but, like, he, he is perfect for this universe. He's just a guy who goes around the universe, goes around the neighborhood and beats people up, and there's nothing that can be done. I also really liked that, um... Uh, Hotaro stands out a bit more as a protagonist starting with this episode. Mm -hmm. um, like when, when they have to follow these alchemy rules of, of like, Oh, this is how we have to go about like capturing this Kemi and stuff. H Hotaro has the right idea with how to get rid of the thugs. And he, he's not going to be bogged down with uh, 
all the bureaucracy. Yeah, he's very clear about what his motives are, and he's very like headstrong about how he's going to achieve that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are, what are some of your thoughts, Lynn? Um, we also get a bit of motivation for the villains of the show, the Abyssalis sisters. They there's this door of darkness that they apparently need to open up, and they've got a higher up named Lord Gleon, if I remember correctly. Uh, which I, I'm not a, a fan of that, but uh, like this episode is so so fun. It's like a total love letter to pro wrestling. And in my opinion, it should have been like the third episode of the show. It should not have taken this long to get an episode this good. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, barring a few things, this probably could be slotted into the third episode slot without actually changing much about the story itself. I mean, I've already forgotten a lot of the earlier episodes. So like, this is the most memorable one for me by far. Yeah. I mean, like with... Our two other students, Renge and Sabimaru, they don't really get like too, too much here, but they get way more here than in either of the two episodes that came before this. And it really would have made more sense to introduce them this way than it would have to, you know, have them show up for 30 seconds in the previous two episodes. Yeah, I think they don't even have like lines in those episodes. Yeah, they have one line because they do make a, a whole point with, or. Renge gets lines in uh, episode three and four because her lines are all about like trading and selling cards. So the concept of Kemi's merging with human altruism is also really fun. Like, cause the whole thing with the the monsters of the week, the Malgams this season, are that they're just Kemi's that morph and amalgamate with human malice. So to have like the exact opposite of the spectrum with. Uh, Wrestler G and Asahi, really fun, really well executed, uh, and just, you know... It, well, and like... to stay on that for just a second, I think a really important point about that is it proves Hotaro right. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because because his teacher at the school is always saying, like, oh, these things are dangerous. But then Hotaro's saying, like, no, these things have potential to, to make good. So I think that is, again, why this should have been, like, our third episode. Yeah. But, but sorry, what else were you, go- were you saying? I mean, the other thing is... Just from a production and craft stance, this episode is such a vast improvement over previous episodes. The choreography especially, it feels like Fukuzawa finally got the opportunity to really strut his stuff. Like, this is the kind of choreography I'm used to from him with uh, Super Sentai, right? So, to come back to this here, I was like, oh, finally, they're letting the man cook. And... Again, all the uh, wrestling moves that they incorporate into the choreo this time. The, what is it? The windmill backbreaker, which is like the the big sort of move that this episode is oriented around. It's a fun episode. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the whole wrestling match is is fantastic. Like, I think this is the only episode where Eitoku has really gotten to, to, to get off, like, he has some really good moments here, like not just with the action he's doing, but the acting he's doing through the suit. Right. Did I did I say his name right? Yeah, Itoku. Yeah. 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 I just I I could. There's so much good here. Like there, there's a few things that aren't aren't great. Like we still have some problems with like our kaijin suits. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> they they <laughs> literally just took a uh, carnival plush gorilla and taped it onto uh, the base Malcolm suit. 
Yeah. I mean, the idea of, like, its face being a fist is fun, but even that gets, like, overutilized in in other amalgam suits. But, yeah, I mean, like, just this... this the real star here is how much they lean into the wrestling, how well they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. like, so many legit moves happening here. I think uh, the the wire work, too, really stands out. Oh, it's, yeah. It really enhances oh, yeah. how strange this all is. Also, the finisher being a double clothesline. Yeah. Just, it seems like they finally let all the creatives on this show cook with this episode. If there's one thing that I would say is a negative, I guess, for this episode. It's the usage of Rising Fighter. Like, we're already yeah. three or four episodes in with this song showing up, but this, I think, was the one the one time where it really felt unnecessary. I think you could have gone this entire fight without actually putting the episode, or putting the song in at all. And it comes in at such a weird time, too, because, like, <clears throat> the regular battle theme that they use here is fantastic. It's great. You know, it's very fitting for, for the fight that's going on. And then at mm-hmm. the very last minute, Rising Fighter comes in and it kind of just saps all the energy that was there. Any yeah. more thoughts on your end for this episode? No, just that, you know, dear listener, you're you're getting our most important thoughts. But if you want to hear more of what we have to say and see... uh in our notes, a drawing of me from my modeling era where someone drew me exactly like Wrestler G. I'm not kidding. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon. Nice. Good plug. Good plug. Uh, yeah, production yeah. notes for this episode. So, with Watanabe coming back to Kamen Rider, they make a whole deal out of it. You know, they talk about his directing style and how he's, like, very hands-on. And it's really cool because the Yakuza in this episode are very, like, intelligent, right? They're very, like, cunning and um, calculated. And it was Watanabe himself who actually requested that the actors play them that way rather than the more rowdy, boisterous types that we're used to seeing in the media. Uh, They have a picture of the prop gun that they used for the bullet chocho form. And then they put it next to a picture of uh, Rine's actress holding two guns and two we'll include that in the sh- two two real guns i should say or realistic <laughs> guns yeah and we'll include it in the show notes it's <laughs> it took me by surprise when i was looking through the production notes um and also the so we talked about this being a love letter to pro wrestling there is i think i would i would go even one step further and say that's a a love letter to new Japanese pro wrestling specifically like NJPW. Uh, Cause the logo is made to look like the NJPW logo. Uh, and we find out that the logo and all those materials were de- designed by the same person who designed that shitty magazine cover from that we talked about in the first episode. Uh, so that's <laughs> Sakura Kobayashi who needless to say did a much better job this time. It also is funny cause Goriki is played by Yuki Onaya, who is not an NJPW wrestler. And it's not like it's not like they don't have access to NJPW wrestlers because the parent company that distributes Kamen Rider is also the parent company that distributes NJPW. And they've had NJPW wrestlers on before. In Kuga, we had Akira Nogami playing uh, right. Suzanne Da. We've had Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, like we've had a, a, 
a whole bunch. Like, I'm not saying that Yukio Naya is not a great choice for this episode, because he was great. He was fantastic in this episode. It's just funny to have someone from uh, a rival promotion show up to a show that is designed to look like NJPW. So in this episode, we get an anthropomorphized version of Wrestler G, or Asahi G, and uh, it's played by Yasuhiro Takeuchi, who's a longtime suit actor for the Kamen Rider and Super Sentai franchises. And in terms of the design for the Sunshine Mask Wrestler, they actually explicitly mention El Solar and Mystico as inspirations in the uh, production notes. Cool stuff. If you've seen uh, El Solar's um, mass, you can definitely see the influence. Oh, I've seen Mystico before. I, I can definitely see this. Yeah. All right, moving on to episode six. We've got Hasegawa in the writer's seat again. We've got Watanabe in the director's seat again. And this time, the synopsis, we've got uh, a day in the life of Valvarad and his lifelong hater, Bolt. Salt, thoughts. Yeah, this one didn't quite get to the heights of the last one, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of fun stuff here. I-, I gotta say, this one also starts out of complete left field. There's this random woman who learns her boyfriend cheated on her. Then one of the Fates shows up, or one of the, the Abyssalus sisters shows up in her house, and th- this woman's not weirded out by that at all. Then that ends up having no bearing on the rest of the plot. Yeah, it's hilarious because you think that she's going to be the big monster yeah, yeah. of the week this week. And then Spanner just shows up out of nowhere and just snatches the Kemi from both of them and just walks off. He struts off, too. I should not I should say it's not like a normal walk off. We see him and he's like strutting as he's walking away from the house. Um, I particularly liked how in the backstory with Spanner's hater, Bolt, the flashback had some similar color grading to the Kamen Rider Kuga Grongi scenes. Mm-hmm. Probably a coincidence more than anything, but I, I like the choice. I mean, um, Watanabe did work on Kuga primarily, so... Uh, yeah, Would make yeah. sense. Would make sense. Yeah. I got two more things before I pass it over to you. It, it is funny how in the first three episodes, Hotaro was portrayed as a good cook, and then starting with episode four, he just can't cook. Like, I yeah. don't know, they they just completely turned that around, <laughs> and it continues here. Because he gets... He, he gets cook-cucked? Cook, yeah, he gets cook-cucked by, by Spanner. Yeah, Spanner just uh, shows up to the restaurant ad hoc and just... <laughs> it's so weird, because he shows up, he's like, I'll have some of your food, uh, Hotaro. He eats the food, and he's like, man, this was dog shit. And then immediately <laughs> just outdoes him at cooking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got some other notes. I'll pass it over to you, though. All right. Um, so the Malgum this week, we've got the uh, Hawk Malgum. And I'll say that it's actually a pretty good Malgum design from the waist up. Like, if you're looking at this from the waist up, and there's a lot of waist up shots in this episode, it's actually a really good design. Um, it seems like there was a lot of effort put into making the making the silhouette of the amalgam also look good so like when it's going high up you can really see that sort of form there's some more alchemy academy bullshit this episode with the ranking system because earlier on we find out that there's a ranking system based on the rings that they have you have the blue ring the green ring and the red ring as the uh, order of hierarchy but on top of that we've got super a rank uh, a double rank whatever the fuck and it just adds a, a a layer of 
a layer of shit that I just don't care about. You know, yeah, like I don't care only... that he's a super A ca- ranked cal- right. alchemist. Yeah, it's just rules for the sake of rules. Right, exactly. Um, and then the highlight of this episode. Oh, my beloved Bolt. A true <laughs> seether. A true hater. His, he is so melodramatic. He's like, if you took Neville Longbottom from iCarly and turned him into a monster of the week. Have yeah, you seen there's iCarly? a line. No, I'm, I, uh, no. But there's a okay. there's a line from one sense. of the Abyssalist sisters where she refers to uh, Bolt having an impressive level of hatred as she's like watching him <laughs> storm away. That was that was cool. She got hated yeah. respect for him. Yeah, I mean, as speaking as a fellow hater, I got to give my respect to him too. <laughs> I'll pass it back to you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I just have a few more things to close out. Um, this whole the show's whole deal with alchemy, like. I realize every episode I watch that alchemy more or less presents as telekinesis. So if mm-hmm. they said like we're a telekinesis academy, that would make a lot less cognitive dissonance than alchemy. There's it's just very mob little cycle one hundred without the antics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. Um, then uh, the motorcycles they they show up briefly, but damn, like I think this is the most motorcycle riding we've had in the whole show, and it it feels like common rider for part of that time. Like it, it really reminds. And this is like actual absent. motorcycle riding too. It's not like CGI. right. Like, yeah, yeah. And Spanner's bike is sick. And then last thing I'll say about this episode is the final fight was kind of a mixed bag, a lot of CG slop, but there was this really cool moment where they're up in the air and Kamen Rider is flipping around and then uses his rider kick to boost Spanner higher. Yeah, that was that's fun. a that was really cool. fun thing, yeah. Yeah, back to you. For me, I've got... Yeah, so we get more... Well, not more, but a, a, a tiny bit. We got a tiny bit more Rene focus, and it seems that all the focus thus far for her has just been about how much she misses her dad. I check out during those scenes. I, I, I am not paying attention yeah. to those scenes. <laughs> yeah, so that was annoying. It's like it, it alternates between that and, you know, the weird creep shit with Spinner. And I should say this episode, like, it it frustrates me because I want to hate Spanner for being a creep, but the show does so much to make him like seem cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like when when Bolt is seething and he Spanner replies with, "I've never seen you in my entire life." <laughs> just <laughs> just completely not aware of this guy's entire existence, and it's great. Yeah, and then my final note here is just that I'm tired of Rising Fighter coming in just for kicks. Yeah, it's overplayed. And yeah. That continues to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so production notes. I it's funny that you mentioned the food because in the production notes they mentioned that they have an actual food coordinator that helps them plan the dishes that Hotaro and in this case Spanner makes. So that dog water dish that we saw last was it episode four? The the literal dog water dish, they had an actual food coordinator plan that. <laughs> I mean good on them, it looked disgusting. Yeah, it was so they, great. They knew, I mean, if, if their plan was to make would... it look disgusting. <laughs> 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 uh, 
So Shogo Amo, the guy that plays Bolt, is actually a regular in uh, episodes that Watanabe directs. So he's worked with him multiple times in uh, various Sentai seasons. So my hope is that both Watanabe and this guy come back. I really hope that Bolt shows up again, because this is an energy that I think the show severely needs. I was going to say, between him and Mr. Asahi in the previous episode, I was like, starting to hope like oh this is the new formula where we you know meet these really interesting characters every week yeah like uh, i think during common rider w's airing they had a thing where they called it the victim of the week so you had someone mm. who was afflicted by the amalgam or whatever was going on that week, right. and the whole deal was that our protagonist would help them so it seems like they were starting to move towards that with these episodes and then finally, uh, Spanner's bike, that really sick bike that we saw in this episode. If you're wondering what bike that was, maybe you're planning on getting a motorcycle driving license. It's the Honda Rebel 1100-1100, whichever one of those I hope we see it again. Is right. It's so rad. Valverad, even. Hey. And on that note, let's move on to episode seven. Hasegawa is out, and Uchida is in for the first time since episode two. We've got Uchida writing, and it's just Uchida writing this time. Uh, he's joined by director Takayuki Shibasaki, and we've got our first two-parter for this season. And, oh boy, um, oh. the synopsis for this episode is that the gang goes kemi hunting, and Hotaro has to console a child about having no friends uh, whew, uh, remember those highs we were feeling just a couple episodes again, Lan? Yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I miss those highs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there is there is so much here. I, I'm really on the same wavelength with you with just how 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 boring this this whole Kemi Law thing is. I fucking like, hate Kemi Law. Doing? Every single time Kemi Law comes out, I, I want to punch a wall. I hate Kemi Law <laughs> so much. So much. And then and then we also have Kemi Math. <laughs> like, oh. Okay, Kemi it's, Math it's... at least I can I can point out to the exact I can point out the mathematics of why Kemi math sucks. Kemi law is just like frustrating on a on a level that is not sublime. Yeah, I, I got I got tons of notes here. I'm not going to get into a lot of them though. I think the fights were really weak, and I feel even more judgy about that ever since we saw how good they could be in episode five. Right. I, I think the the main thing I want to talk about here is world building. Mm, um, yeah, one of the students in the alchemy school talks about like having bad grades, or th th they're afraid they'll have bad grades if they do something. I, I can't remember, but it was it, it begs all these implications. Like, okay, so what happens if you get bad grades in this school? Do you get kicked right. out, and then do you have to go to a normal school? Is there another alchemy school? Like, it's the kind of it's just like at the end of episode eight, we even see that we even hear Minato tell Hotaro, oh, I'm docking your grades for letting this happen, right? And you're like, oh, was there consequences for that? But you don't see any consequences at all. Right, right, yeah. It's it's uh, it's really lazy world building. And I think a good comparison is um, Zero One, 
so like in zero one you see the like I feel like Heaton Corp is a believable place in that universe, and I mm-hmm. can see these um the the human gears how they've like affected modern Japan and like the way people get along. Even just in the span of two episodes, you can imagine it, you can see it. Right. Then you have other corporations that come along too. Like it's all very fleshed out organically. This alchemy school has nothing going on. No explanation why it's hidden. No indication what they ever do there except study chemis. It's lazy world building. And then they should lazy have homework world... at least. Right. You don't even see them do homework. You they join the academy and then the first thing they do is just catch chemis. That's it. Right. It's it's really ironic because it's when I say lazy world building, it's not always a lack of world building. Like we talked about there's the there's the math, there's there's the laws, but they're getting so caught up in that rather than just like the magic, like the world like just right. the charm of like, hey, imagine what this could be like. Yeah. Yeah, that's my main thing. I'll turn over to you now. Yeah, on the note of world building, in episode seven specifically, we actually get this I this um this premonition i guess of a foretold chemipocalypse and it just flashes <laughs> at you for maybe 3 seconds before going back to the re- the rest of the episode and i feel like that would have been useful like 3 episodes ago 4 episodes ago actually establishing that there is a legitimate threat to society and to humanity if the chemis are let loose and i feel like not enough is actually being done to reinforce that to hotaro himself like everyone says oh you can't do this because kemi law says you can't do this you can't be friends with the kemi because kemi law says this fuck kemi law give me another reason (laughs) give me another reason tell me the world's gonna end because i'm friends with the fucking cactus well, and I feel like in a lot of uh, tokusatsu shows and anime, like it's there's a formula where you start often with a lot of these like weaker foes, and then at a certain point you, you cross a threshold where there's a foe who's an actual threat, right? Which in this case, they I guess, is going to be guy. Lord Gleon, right? They they right. mention it in episode five. It's supposed to be the guy that the Abyss Abyssalis sisters are trying to let loose. Right, I but, mean, I love being told and not shown. That's that's awesome storytelling. Yeah, they family <laughs> the famous adage, you know, tell don't show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah, when but that, that apocalypse thing would work if we had actually seen that guy, you know. Right, even just a hint of it. Like the most you get is that storybook in episode uh, two, I believe. Yeah. Right. So here it's and uh, going back to the whole tell don't show thing. In episode eight, we get all this mention of, you know, Sabimaru, the iPad kid, being this, like, or Spanner specifically says that his reputation precedes him, but, like, nothing that Sabimaru actually does <laughs> really indicates that. Like, I hate that character so much. <laughs> I feel bad because the, because, like, he's, he's a great voice actor, you know, and he, he does a great job at, like, acting. But all the material he's getting is just utter trash. Actually, I shouldn't say yeah. utter trash. There, he does get one good bit in episode seven with uh, the iPad running out of energy. Mm-hmm. But aside from like the little gag bits, you know, same goes for Renge too. You know, she was meant to be the voice of the average Kemi card collector in episode three and four, right? But here she 
is just there. She's a bit like there was a, I think it was an episode six, no, it was an episode seven where she like gets real ruthless with capturing Sabo Needle. But yeah, that's that's like the the Alchemy Academy side of things. But let's talk about the actual plot of this episode, which is about this kid and his Kemi. Uh, and the villain for this episode, or these sets of episodes, uh, is a guy. <laughs> I wrote this down when when the Malgum showed up. I said, "Ah hell now, nah, they got poo on this Malgum's head." <laughs> it does look like poo. It looks like shit. Literally, it looks like shit. <laughs> and apparently, it's a dragon fi- It's it's a dragonfly Malgum, and you're supposed to believe that this is a dragonfly's. Uh, what is it? Thorax on his head, but it looks <laughs> like if you want to be. If, if you want to be generous, it looks like a bee stinger. Like, yeah, to me, I didn't it get looks dragonfly like, at all. <laughs> right, absolutely. It looked more like they were doing a bee amalgam, but then halfway through, they're like, oh, no, we actually have to we actually have to debut this card first. So then they switched it to a dragonfly without changing anything about this, the design. I thought this actually looked cheaper than the gorilla suit. The, oh, absolutely. The gorilla this was <laughs> Again, awful. It, it, the poo-boo man, the poo-boo on his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it reminded me of something you'd see in, like, parodies of of tokusatsu or, like, fan films. But even that's not fair, because we're going to talk about fan films later, and that mm. fan film is not anywhere near the caliber of this. Yeah. Uh, These episodes, I think, also have some some of the worst wild forms since episode four in episode the seven whale made me so mad the whale bike is just awful uh yeah the the wild forms here are just egregious i just i hate everything about the wild forms and i yep. yeah i mean there, there really isn't much more to say there it's the same stuff that i said last episode yeah in episode eight specifically we've got the oldest quote-unquote oldest of the bunch played by the youngest actress uh just chewing up the scene she's got a scene where she's acting opposite rene and she <laughs> she's great like she has this thing where she pretend cries and oh it's, my god that was awesome it was like, that was so the one good. thing i enjoyed that was so funny when she's like it was so, <laughs> and she, like how obvious her play crying is too is is so good yeah, I didn't know a little kid could choose scenery like that. Like that's that's awesome. That that yeah. little girl is Props such a good her. actor. Props to her. I I really do hope that they keep the sisters around for the entire show cuz I mean in every case they're they're great. Uh Well, she's and, funny and the other two are hot. So, let's just <laughs> like that's great. Like just just keep it like that. Yeah, I noted in episode 7, Lachesis is a nun definitely awakened. Lachesis is the uh, middle sister. Uh, she she dresses up as a nun, and I said that definitely awakened a fetish in someone out there. <laughs> Sorry, where was I? Uh, <laughs> right, Got distracted so, with nuns. <laughs> uh, right. So the 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 core dynamic of these two episodes are with this kid Riku and the Sabo Needle Kemi, who which who he names Sabosuke. And I honestly thought that this bond is really cute. Like I think that this. So in episode eight, we actually see that bond develop through this montage. And I think that montage should have been in episode one. And then I thought about it more. And then I realized that this entire two-parter could have just been one 
episode. It could have been another one and done like episode five, and I think it would have been a lot better for it. They could have trimmed a lot of the fat in this episode and last episode, and they could have focused in on the core conflict, which is this dynamic between a boy and his uh, Kemi and his father with the Pooboo Malgam form. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. His father is... So we find out that the the Pooboo Malgam is the kid's dad. And his reason for turning into a Malgam is just because he doesn't want his child to have friends. And so he's he... trying to kill Hotaro and Sabonito to like make sure that his kid has good grades. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, I noted that it's it's an interesting coincidence that this came out the same week as the most recent episode of um, Ultraman Blazar. And uh, oh, come on. That... Now, we're, now we're comparing hydrogen bombs to coughing babies. <laughs> I, I have to. I have to. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was fascinating because in uh, that episode that's, you know, recent as of the recording of this, it's called Between Morn and Dusk. That's a story with a very similar premise. It's about young kids struggling to build both friendships with other kids their age and connect with their parents and that episode did it so much better than this yeah yeah i think at the core there is a good episode that can be made out of this episode i just think that there's just too much fluff and there's just too much going on that detracts from from this episode really reaching any sort of height. I feel like I, I, a two-parter, the, the point of it is, you know, you're going to introduce another influential character or reveal something about a character that we didn't know, and this doesn't do either of those things. Well, it does. It's it, The reveal, I guess, is that the Poo Malgam is his father, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's really what well. it is. But I have some nice things to say. I do have some nice things to say. Actually, I have one nice thing to say. Actually, no, I have two nice things to say. Yeah, get the it. First, the first is that Valvarad's choreography in Episode 8, fantastic. It, there's oh, cool. a lot of movement with his, uh, what is it, his wrench. You know, yeah, you like see the kendo around. influence in his movement. Yeah, exactly. And the choreo with the Amalgam especially, because Amalgam's got like these huge, lanky... Uh, limbs right and the way that he's coordinating around that there's a lot of choreography or there's a lot of time and effort that you can see has gone into actually choreographing how these characters move in this situation so all the valverad choreo for this episode is great and i should say this is the first good cue-in of Rising Fighter in God knows how many episodes. They actually build up to it very well. It doesn't feel like it was just plopped in there last second. It actually feels like there's a proper build-up to it. And then uh, we also get the Dokiri shovel form, which I called the Dookie shovel form. <laughs> a lot of poop. <laughs> a lot of poop notes <laughs> for these episodes. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Any more notes on your end for these episodes? One quick observation that both Gotchard and Zero One both talk about human malice a lot. Mm. Can you elaborate on that? Because I want to hear, does one do it better than the other? Hmm. That's. Well, when I made that note, I was more comparing it to other common Rider series, right? Like, right. Bo- both of these series talk about how 
like it's the malice in people that can trigger these these monsters being born um but yeah i'm still trying to figure out where zero one is going with it because it's like how human malice is what turns the machines bad right it's versus in this it's the malice that makes people into the kaijin right and yeah i don't have there's like there's a lack of agency on the part of the chemis themselves Right. We, we've already yeah, established that the, the chemis yeah, the chemis aren't the bad ones. It's the people that are the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, I, you know, I, I still need to see a lot more of both shows, but I do feel like it's a more misanthropic perspective than some of the other Common Rider series I've watched. In both cases or in specifically? I would say in both cases, but probably more so in Gotchard, since we've seen so many people turn into chemis right it I or sorry you know, kaijin you know what kaijin I mean. the, the amalgams yeah yeah i think i don't know if i made this note last episode it's just funny that they happen to live in a city where there's just such a high concentration of malicious people i think that's what got me thinking about it actually <laughs> every but turn they, every corner you turn there's just some malicious person waiting to abuse a, a, a chemi <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I don't know how the translation is being handled, but in the subs, it, I am seeing that specific word malice a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to production notes? Yeah, so production notes. For episode 7 specifically, they framed the notes as a guide for raising your own Sabo Needle, which I thought was cute. The Sabo Needle puppet was actually crafted by a sculptor that they had contracted, Yuko Nagaoka. And the Lachesis is a nun thing was uh, Uchida's idea. So if you want to thank anyone, thank Uchida. And then in terms of... So I forget if it was last episode or our Kuga episode where I was talking about the director's influence on an episode. But uh, I bring it up here because there is this part in the coffee... Or is it a coffee shop or a bakery in episode 7 where uh, Rin's having like this neurodivergent moment uh, where she's like overwhelmed by all the things that she's being told. And that sequence with the graphic was actually devised by the director, uh, Shibasaki, who actually got the designer Hideki Tajima to draft the graphic for that segment. That wasn't in the script at all. So it shows that the directors, despite being at the more or less tail end of the pipeline of this creative process do actually have a significant role in shaping how in an episode turns out. And it's true mm. of what we saw with Watanabe too, right? With the, uh, the way that the Yakuza were performed, uh, in episode eight, we have, so I don't know if you noticed this with the Dokiri shovel form, but the shoulders, they took this from, the Venom Mariner suit. So we're probably never seeing the Venom Mariner form ever again. <laughs> and they explicitly mentioned that they took these shoulders for this form from Venom Mariner. And they also mentioned that three whole teams worked on this suit. We had Plex, Bandai, and Blendmaster Co. All putting, apparently, their best work into putting this suit out. And man, if you got three teams working on these suits and this is the best you can come up with ah uh, man yeah, i, I should say i'm pro kit bashing 
but this yeah. really just feels like they did not want to dedicate any proper time to it. Uh, the the helmet for this form I think looks nice. Everything yeah. else looks just cheap and it doesn't it's, feel it's like they cheap give and time. There's there's nothing for me to hold on to if that makes any sense. Like when I think about season 2 as it were of uh, 71, you start to see the the like fused kaijin they're like two animals fused together right and it's like oh i get what that is and then you go to v3 and it's an animal combined with some type of machinery or weapon right. again i get it I, I get what the theme is here but like these are just two anythings mashed together and it's it's just too vague of a principle for me to appreciate it or care in any fashion yeah i think a lot like, of a magician at issues... a Sorry, yeah, I think it's just no, no. Go, you go ahead, go ahead. Oh, just that a, a magician and a piece of construction equipment. Like, why, why? And I think <laughs> there is a way to make that work if they actually put more time into the concept and actually fleshing out sure. the concept. But the concept here is just so ridiculously full of holes that when you're giving this to a team to be like, all right, make a form out of this. They're, they, they, they just got to throw their hands up and be like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it's a magician and, uh, it's a magician and an excavator. You know, they look at what pieces they can actually use and they're like, Oh, we have a shovel piece here and we have, I guess a hat piece here. I guess we can just throw these here. Cause that's all they can do. Right. It, yeah. The, the concepts aren't built with this idea of kit bashing in mind, so we're left with these suits that just look very cheap and not very thought out. They look disposable. That's what it is for me. They just look very disposable, which is ironic because in the production notes, they say that uh, the, the, the kit bashing and all that is their way of appealing to the era of sustainable development goals. Oh my gosh. Shut Pat up. ourselves on the backs, folks. We've got our sustainable... <sighs> yeah well it's it's interesting like in Z zero one has i think too many suits but mm -hmm. e even even when there's a new suit every time i'm like oh that's cool i'd like to see that again i i haven't thought about that of any of the gotchard suits yeah yeah and then the only other note i have here is that the display panels that they use for the chemi cards in the alchemy academy you know like the the things that they put the yeah the light in, up Panels. Yeah, the light-up panels. They're just the toy display panels that Bandai is, of course, selling right now for 3,000 yen. So please buy our toys. Buy toy. Buy toy. Can you tell that we want to sell you our toy? Please buy the toy. Buy the Kami Riser. Available now. <laughs> I was thinking at the end of Part 7 when the reveal is that it's the dad and the dad is the bad guy. If I was a dad and my kid was watching this, I'd be like, no, you're not allowed to watch this. You have to watch something else. Yeah, I would shoot. <laughs> I would shoot my child's friend if he told him. <laughs> I would shoot my child's friend if my child's friend told my child to watch *Common Rider Gotchard*. <laughs> Depictions are endorsement, people. Hell yeah! And I think that rounds things up. Let's get into our major thoughts. So, two things, I guess, before we go into our individual thoughts. Um, so, there's this interview in the autumn 2023 
edition of Uchisen magazine where they talk to the protagonists or the actors portraying our protagonists, the writers, as well as the producer of the show, Yosuke Minato. Um, and there's a bunch of notes that I've compiled here from that interview uh, that I think can help shape our overall thoughts for this set of episodes. Uchida was meant to be the head writer of the show. This was apparently an invitation that he got after he had originally been invited to write for uh, King Odra on the Sentai side of things. But, uh, yeah, he was contracted by Minato, or he was contacted by Minato to work on this show. But they realized that with this being his first time, uh, they wanted to sustain and support him uh, so that things didn't go wrong. So that's why they brought on uh, Hasegawa. Uh, this is also Minato's first time as a chief producer on any Kamen Rider show. And then I think one thing that I find is interesting, especially with what we just talked about with the uh, forms, is that they wanted to keep the number of riders low. And they mentioned Agito as an example. Agito had four. Yeah. And so all these forms that Hotaro uses are by volume the same that you would get in other shows, but because there's not other writers, that same volume is just going to just the one writer, right? Like in Geats, you had all these forms, you had all these these auxiliary forms, but they were being divvied up across tens of writers, or technically hundreds of writers. So it didn't feel like it was overwhelming because the main writer would only get two or three forms while everyone else gets two or three forms and so on and so forth. But here it's just Hotaro getting these forms, right? So that's why you see that volume being condensed down into just him. And then I guess Spanner gets like two or three things. Mm -hmm. So the first two episodes of the show were rewritten by Hasegawa after Minato and Uchida got lost in the sauce. Uh, the Abusala sisters were apparently not a part of the plan at all until Hasegawa hopped on, and Minato and Uchida's original plan were to have no overarching enemy at all for a good chunk of the episode, or for a good chunk of the show. So the idea would be it was just that the Monsters of the Weeks were just chemis who happened to cross paths with malicious humans. Um, so on that note, Hasegawa also was responsible for making Hopper One the mascot of the show. So if you want to thank anyone for the Pokemonification of these Kemis, I guess Hasegawa is to blame for that. Now, this note I find is interesting. Renge and Sabimaro were originally meant to be a rival team led by Spanner in Uchida's original plan. So with no actual villain, it would be that Spanner would lead these two as a sort of team rocket almost in uh, capturing the Kemis. The original plan was basically that Hotaro would let the Kemis free, and that would be the driving force for the entire season that he had to like gather them up, gather up everything that he had let, let loose. Uh, on the note of Sabimaru, apparently he was meant to be a V... Do you know what a VTuber is, Salt? Isn't it like a... You're, you're like a streamer, but you have a like a cartoon persona. Is that right? right? Yeah, that's more or less yeah. what it is. So he was originally meant to be a VTuber at first before they actually changed it to the to what we have now with his AI iPad. And then another note that I found interesting was that Rising Fighter, which we now have mixed feelings about, 
was meant to harken back to the days of yore when writers would have theme songs that were commonly associated with their finishers, and they explicitly mention Agito's Believe Yourself as an example of that. And, like, thinking back to it, it's weird because Believe Yourself didn't feel nearly as grating to me watching Agito as it does watching Rising Fighter in Gotchard, or hearing Rising Fighter in Gotchard. So, yes, so what are your thoughts on some of these notes? I mean, the music is the one that stands out to me because I, too, thought that Rising Fighter was overused. But I honestly am really underwhelmed by a lot of the music in this show. Like, almost every song that comes on that's not Rising Fighter feels like video game menu music. Mm. And I I just note that because when we did our uh, Leap of Faith episode with those first episodes of various seasons, all those seasons had really memorable, great music. Right. So if we use music as like a metric of the the quality of a show, like that that says a lot right there. Yeah. Um yeah, that that's the main thing that, that stands out to me. I find this original plan to be very interesting. Just the idea of not having an actual evil force dictate the direction of the series for uh, uh, so what they said was they would consider a driving force or a, a main villain per se uh in at around the halfway mark of the series but for like the first half or so it would be just um them tackling the monsters of the week and for as much as i like the abyssalis six eh, the fates i'm just gonna call them the fates as much as i yeah. like the fates for what they are i do think it would have been more interesting to not have them be the driving force of villainy in the show i think it would have been cooler just to sort of have this it's just an everyday thing you know people get infected by the chemi virus if you will and uh become the monsters of the week and i really like the idea of renge and sabimaro being a rival team because i think they would have worked so much better yeah absolutely and i think dynamically i think it would have been so much better for them to be this opposing force to Rene and and Hotaro. Let's talk about this fan short film from Yes. So this came across my radar I think a week or two ago. And so it's like I said, it's it's a fan production and there's an original suit based on the Gotchard suit, but it's also based off of uh, an Armor Hero suit. So Armor Hero is a uh, Chinese tokusatsu drama series. Uh, And so these guys got together to do, I would say it's about on par with what you'd see out of like early 2010s YouTube, like Rocket Jump, Freddy Wong. Like it's very well produced. Like it's not perfect. Like you can definitely tell that this is a fan production, but the effort that they're putting in, is really impressive and especially with the fabrication of this suit that they've got and the villain suit too is is great yeah i mean it's the 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 villain here is more memorable than any villain we've had in gotchard so far yeah not to be Uh, like nintendo hire this man about this production but (laughs) maybe hire just the costume designer Yeah, I mean, it's the other thing I'll say for this, too, is like this is a quite CG heavy scene, but right. the you can read the action a lot more clearly than you can in a lot of the CG heavy Gotchard scenes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a yeah, cool thing. Um, Nintendo hire this man. <laughs> uh, I, I really like how this uh, this this kaijin that, that that he's fighting in this Chinese video is just wearing ski goggles. <laughs> Got like regular ass like oh, yeah, snowboard yeah, yeah. or ski goggles on. <laughs> I love fan Yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, I, I really don't want to be all, like, pessimistic, doom and gloom. Like, I think this kind of thing is really cool. Hopefully, if this gets traction, like, this can maybe feed back into what they're doing at Toei and, like, bump up the quality of this show. Like, I sincerely hope for that. Yeah, I think at this rate, it's going to take Shinichiro Shirakura to actually come in and tighten up the production like he did with Kuga. <laughs> to, to save the show yeah let's get into our in- individual final notes we'll start with you i i don't have too much more to say honestly i i said a lot of that b- before i mean i'll just say one more time like i don't enjoy hating on this show like episode five was a delight i i really hope we reach those heights again mm-hmm. yeah i'll turn it over to you unless i think of something else all right uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I think this episode or the the set of episodes is an improvement on the first four. I like even with the low points in seven and eight, I think it's still a much better showing than what we got in that first month of uh, Gotchard. Um, my main issue with the show is just that it feels like the producers and I, I mean higher than just Minato. I mean, I'm talking on the level of Toei and Bandai. It really feels like the creative talent of the show are left stranded by these higher-ups. It feels so much... Absolutely. It feels so... like It's weird. When New Gen Ultraman debuted, there were a lot of complaints about letting Bandai dictate the direction of the show and uh, how many toys were showing up in the show. And a lot of that was overblown. But I think that argument could actually be made here, where the toy commercial feels absolutely blatant here. And I don't know. I can see that the creative team, the directors, the writers even, want to tell a great story. It's just that they're being hamstrung. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, my only other main notes... Uh, well, first off, Motojima uh, has improved a lot in playing Hotaro. I think overall he feels much more well-rounded in these episodes than he did in those first few episodes. Um, I think also having the victim of the week format helps with that. You know, having him support this person that shows up for just that one or two episodes, it really helps cement him as this supportive, this support figure. So. Props to Motojima. He's he's really improved in that first in that month. Uh, I like your uh, note you had about uh, Ho- socialist Hotaro making the oh, whole yeah. team take credit. <laughs> yeah, it's great. He is our proletariat common writer. God bless him. Uh, and then my final note is just that Kemi Math and Kemi Law is just utter bullshit. I think with Kemi Math specifically is that having a two item combination gimmick immediately engenders this idea that mixing and matching is possible. And we've seen that happen. We've had Kamen Rider build, which is that mix and match thing. We've had uh, Geats literally last season, which was a mix and match thing. Cause it all, and, and Kamen Rider W, right? All those have a mix and match 
gimmick where you have two items going into the belt. So when you have this, there's this expectation that it's going to be mix and match, but we know that there's only one pair for each card. So mixing and matching is out of the question. It goes against the idea of what alchemy is supposed to be, and it goes against the idea of what having a two-item gimmick is supposed to be too and it feels so so restrictive it feels not thought out at all and when you have hotaro trying to pick which card goes with which based on the numbers adding up to 10 it feels hollow because all he really needs to do is just look at the backs of the cards (laughs) (laughs) oh this uh, this is six and this is four it adds up to 10 no just look at the back of the cards bro just look at the back of the cards yeah Uh, it and then the kemi law stuff feels like noise to me it's just stuff to make it feel like they're building out the world when they're not you know because if people were to critique the lack of world building people can point to the kemila and be like no they're actually world building this is an example of them doing that but like it's not substantial there's no substance to it and we haven't seen any far-reaching uh consequences of any of this yet the alchemy school feels very limited we really don't it just doesn't feel like a school i mean i don't particularly like them as an institution either and i no, and i don't think you're supposed to either but it i don't like them for not i don't like them but it's not for the reasons that the show wants me to not like them if that makes sense yeah it it makes sense it's just like when they're erasing people's memories i don't know just it's icky to me like i kept joking about how the fact that they had to lobotomize this kid after the episode's plot was over because like right. that's the whole thing it's like oh we can't let that's him the be... implication yeah we can't let him be a friend with sabo needle because we'd have to lobotomize him if not or whatever so overall an improvement over the first month but there's still quite a ways to go before this show really can be considered a not fraud shirt whatever the opposite <laughs> of fraud shirt is <laughs> Yeah, but that's it for this month's Gotch Watch. Next time we've got Kyoto. We've got Kajiki coming back, and he's going on a date this time. We've got another two-parter, and uh, we've got our first special. We've got Common Rider Legend. So we'll uh, we'll have thoughts about that. Otherwise, if you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon that you can support at patreon.com slash midnightgrappleranimals. $5 gets you not only two full bonus episodes of our main show, Midnight Grappler Animals, every month, but also it gives you episodes a week earlier than the public, as well as access to our show notes. So if you're interested in getting these episodes a week earlier than everyone else, because you are having to wait a month between episodes... Uh, and you want to see the show notes that we keep talking about, I think you should consider supporting us. But if you're not able to support us financially, you can still support us through morale by giving us a good review on your podcast app. It really helps us uh, gain a footing in this wicked, wild, wild west of podcasting. Otherwise, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can email us at midnightgrappleranimals at gmail.com. We have a Discord server, so if you want to tell us how wrong we are about Gotchard, or you want to talk more in depth about anything else, you can find a link to that in the description of this episode. If you want to follow the show, we have a Twitter page and a Blue Sky page for the show at MGAPod. 
or at mgapod.bluesky.social. And you can also follow us. I'm on Twitter at LanTweets. And we're both on Blue Sky. Salt is saltmbank.bluesky.social. And I'm lanskeets.bluesky.social. As always, what did I say last episode? What was it? Keep on... Keep on gotching. Oh, yes. Keep on gotching. I don't know. I don't remember. We've already Got, flubbed gotch this. on. Gotch on. Keep calm and gotch on. Keep... Oh, no. Not keep calm and gotch Sorry. on. Sorry. I don't know. We'll figure it out for episode three, I swear. We'll, we'll, we'll got you next time. Ah, oh, that's a good one. We'll got you next yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs>